1: Welcome to episode number two seventy nine of On the Court of the Official Pitcherless <laughs> Podcast. Do that again, <laughs> No, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I almost, I almost punched my iced coffee across yep. the room. But we're here. Here we are with uh, uh, Mr. Mulligan, Nick Pollock himself. Nick, how you doing?
2: What is happening? Yeah, I want to be known as Mr. Mulligan. That's actually the nickname I've been striving for. Always <laughs> needing second chances. Nick Pollock here. What's happening? I seriously, almost punched this coffee into oblivion. <laughs> I got so
1: amped. Uh how you doing? It it's been a wild week of playoff baseball. It's yes. been a lot of fun. As Nick and I are speaking, the Brewers and Atlanta just wrapped up that 3 nothing game. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we've seen in the playoffs. And then we're going to move into 40 through 100 on Nick's list, which came out.
2: Did it end up coming out last Tuesday or Wednesday? It came out on Wednesday. I, I needed yeah, so. to take a little bit of time because if you go to that article, I uh, it's 5,000 words. Um uh, And I felt like I could give some blurb or some quick sentence, like understanding the guy. So I figured, look, it's going to be five months or whatever till the next one, four months. Might as well really outline it as best as I could. Now, were there any changes since we spoke in the top 40 that? uh... Very small. I did give some more to Drew Darvish. So he's at 30 now. Um, okay. I did that. I, I I think I moved up one other guy or so. I made some very small changes, nothing too drastic. But I think the biggest one in my head was you, Darvish, going up to 30. And oh, yeah, Aaron Nola at 19 hmm. with Carlos to 21 and Kershaw, 20. So if we're talking about the playoffs, we're going to talk about two guys that
1: we've already discussed in terms of the top 40. And we're going to start with the one who was pulled today for a pinch hitter in the Milwaukee. Milwaukee great Atlanta game it, it's it's tough to talk about this because hindsight right hindsight's 2020 uh and y- y- you know obviously we know now that that probably wasn't the best move by Craig Council to bring in uh Adrian Hauser who then gave up a three-run home run to Jock Peterson Freddie Peralta up until that moment was cruising um yeah. he had a 67% whiff rate on that slider mm. six swings four swings and misses he was facing the worst team in baseball at sliders in terms of swing and misses. No term, no team swung and missed more than Atlanta did. Now, what were your thoughts? Was that the right move there or did you back it in the moment? Was it not right? How do you feel about
2: it? My first thoughts was, oh, hey, we'll never have to deal with this next year because we won't have pitchers hitting anymore. Uh, yeah. No, Um. I understand the situation. It has been a series of low offense for both teams. And that was a, that was a case. It was second and third one out uh, where you felt like, hey, we could really capitalize on this. And they, if they they walk him, then all of a sudden you saw the top of the order coming. Well, Freddy Peralta with two outs and you really giving yourself one shot instead of two to get both these guys in. It didn't work out for them. Fine. Um, and that's just how all these decisions are always going to be scrutinized is it did not work out. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course Hauser allowing the other uh, three run shot on a fastball that was out of the zone and up. I got to hand it to Peterson on that at bat. By the way, it was a, he swung and missed on a fastball up already, and Hauser said, "Great, I'm going to throw another one elevated," and it didn't work out. You know, Peterson adjusted and, and knocked it out of the park. I mean, props to him for that. Yeah, but but I mean, I get it. It's like it's how it works. It's how the National League has worked for ages. And uh it's it's sad to see, especially as someone who enjoys amazing pitching. I want to see more Freddie Peralta, but these kinds of moves are made all the time.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's definitely you know, the cons are now it's might be tougher to get Peralta into game five. If there is a game five, um you might have burned him a little bit because he only I think he only threw forty seven pitches, maybe a little bit more, but I think it was either 57. way. Fifty seven. Okay, yeah, I I agree with I I understand where they're coming from. I I understand why they did it. It just stinks that it didn't work out that way. But to me, you know, we always hear like a a baseball game isn't necessarily won and lost on one play. And my biggest bone to pick that theoretically would have changed things up a little bit. I guess the same order still would have come up, came up. So maybe this is a little bit irrelevant. I was so disappointed in Freddie Peralta's approach to adam duvall the inning mm. before yeah he this was a play at, freddy Peralta crushing it with a slider i believe it was a 0-2 count and he decided to throw a slider and it wasn't it wasn't the best slider it never really hit the zone at all it was a little too far down and away and duvall kind of spit at it so he decided to back that up with an elevated 98 mile an hour fastball a 96 mile an hour fastball and Duval took it to right field and right. it was one gust of wind away from a home run. Lorenzo Kane gets sort of injured on the play. And in my head, it was like, you know, Duval can hit a fastball, you know, Duval right. can hit an elevated oh. fastball. So I don't under, like I don't understand why you're being cute with a guy who has, uh, I believe, the second or third highest swinging strike rate on sliders and baseball throw your best pitch. You know what I mean? I understand you want to build it up, but there's the there's what could have happened, right? The yeah, whole thing so is you wanted to throw the fastball to set up the
2: slider, but then he got burned. You're speaking my language. Uh, I, I talk about this a lot during those YouTube videos. If you guys don't know, YouTube.com slash list, I break down innings with pitchers all the time. I've done it the entire year. One thing I really do speak to is doubling up. When you think you have the right pitch in a situation and the reason it didn't work was because you didn't execute it then do it again and execute it. Because what happens here is Duvall thinks, oh, I just showed to Peralta that I'm looking for the slider and I'm ready to spit on it. Then I've deserved a fastball now. So Mm -hmm. as the hitter is reacting to this, he thinks, okay, slider and miss that one. That means fastball is next because I've earned it. And you'll find often if you double up on a slider, it it will work. It's not the same thing going to happen twice in a row, right? They're not going to... Take one and then take another. Often they're actually going to swing over it again. So uh, I mean that's why I got so excited in Shane Boz's debut. It was a three two pitch and he threw two two breakers to get to three uh, two, and then threw another one and it completely shocked him. He got the strike and I am like jumping in my chair because you just don't see that kind of uh, boldness, especially yep. in a full count like that in a debut. So I'm all for that. I will have one thing to say though. Would you say that Peralta's best pitch is a slider, or is it his fastball?
1: Um, you know, it's so funny. I feel like one just so much balances the other that yeah. it's kind of tough to say. Like, is it right. is it the
2: fastball because of the slider, is it the slider because of the fastball? So I don't know if I can make a concrete answer. Yeah, that that's a that's a that's a good point. I I mean, I remember for you know before the slider showed up this year, we've been saying that Peralta's fastball is just oh man, so untouchable, sure. so hard to hit because the extension and the angle he comes in um, has an extra bit of movement too. Uh, so, I mean, I under- like, I'll like i never really hate Peralta for throwing this fastball just because it's been such a good pitcher for so long. But you're completely right. The situation called for throwing more sliders to Duvall the there. Uh, I mean, he's just really bad against them. Your slider is great, Peralta. So what? He misses one. That's just something about the mentality of sequencing that I think is going to be shifting more and more as we continue on.
1: Yeah, it's speaking of uh, shifting and shifting pitching landscapes, a guy who is pitching in a way that uh, isn't the norm for way a lot of people are pitching right now is Logan Webb, who's the other guy that we wanted to talk about in terms of playoff performance. I mean, oh, Lordy, his playoff (laughs) debut, and he goes seven and two thirds with uh, no earned runs, five hits, no walks, and 10 Ks against the Dodgers. He gets 12 whiffs on his changeup. He, ah! He didn't have That's a act. single pitch below a 40% CSW. That is that is crazy? A, That's crazy. Yeah.
2: That's unreal. That's it, unreal. It was it was That's a remarkable unreal. performance to say the least. Um he did so uh, I, I believe across he had 92 pitches here for Logan Webb. Um if you remember, like spring training what got us excited about Logan Webb was that changeup. And I'll be honest, even through the year when we talk about, oh wow, he's so good right now, and he's in this crazy, incre- crazy good rhythm, it really wasn't the changeup as much. It was really the fastball slider doing a lot of, it. and sometimes the changeup would show up, but mostly those two pitches. And to see Logan Webb come out with that changeup, yeah, twelve whiffs over thirty-eight thrown. That's a forty-one percent usage on his changeup, which itself is what he doesn't do that. He only threw twenty-seven percent fastballs in this game. Logan Webb, ninety-two pitches there, so. Logan Webb is someone uh, that I, I dread uh, entering next year. Yeah, you know it, we, we, we have them every year where I, I, I feel regardless of what side I'm on, I just know I'm going to be the wrong one. <laughs> so, I mean, my my whole thing has been, hey, Logan mm-hmm. Webb, he's a slinger, he's a web slinger, right? Uh, he has a low arm angle and he's had a really good sinker command. But even in this one, yes, he got a lot of called strikes on eight called strikes on, on 20 sinkers thrown the real star is here with that change up and, and slightly combined for 19 whiffs between them. I, uh, and it, that's just absurd. So I, I can't, I can't watch that start. It's, it's so hard for me to watch that start and say, Oh yeah, this guy's outside the top 30 starters for next year. Right. It's just, it's so hard to do that. But then again, it's one day it's, it's a guy still in rhythm. We've seen how the winter can change so much when it comes to that rhythm. Um, and I'm going to be back and forth on this all winter long. I, I don't want this to be the hill I die on, uh, yeah. being you know, down on Logan Webb. And I, I think, honestly, I might just find myself saying, you know what, I get it. Like There are a lot of risks with a lot of guys in the 20s as well, so I'll probably shove him around Carlos Rodon or something like that at, like, 22. And I think everyone can kind of feel okay about that. And that's uh, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at. Like, I can't really draft... Pablo Lopez ahead of him right that doesn't make sense yeah uh, yeah or or Dylan Cease for me in my in my mind so so I I get it like that was my this is the that's where I was coming from before was I really just don't think Logan Webb is going to stay at this level but I'm not I don't think that my current ranking is taking into account enough the possibility of it actually sticking and what impact that is so yeah you guys will see that change
1: yeah, that is, that's a really interesting way to think about it because right now at 33, you're baking in a good amount. As you said, you're baking in a good amount of the risk right there. And you're right. Too like much it's of it. Like, yeah. Yeah, too much of it. Yeah. And, and no one's going to get him that late anyway. Nope. So I, I, you're right. I, I think that, and, and, and at a look, I think that fits perfectly where you said, like right around Rodon, Musgrove, McClanahan, Manoa. That makes sense because it's not too crazy. There's still plenty of legitimate aces ahead of him. But I think that's where you're getting into a little more of a wart territory,
2: in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, he's like, um, uh, you know, last year it was Corbin Burns and Zach, please cycle with us. We're like, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some more upside there now, which which is good. Um, let, let's move into the
1: why we're, we're here today, which is talking 40 through 100. Now, Eight. a little dis a little disingenuous here we're going to skip tier six because we talked about Clevenger Verlander Syndergaard and Severino in our last episode so go check out that last episode to to see Nick's thoughts on those kind of four guys returning from injury so we're going to jump right in then to tier seven uh 44 through 51 we're looking at Sean Mania, Framber Valdez Chris Bassett Nathan Evalde Jose Urquidy Marcus Stroman Ian Anderson and Alex Wood this
2: is the Pinocchio tier I don't think we uh, named I mean, any of the tiers. Last we week, didn't. By the way, so. And I think it's yeah. an atrocity that we didn't fast. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. Sorry. This is the Pinocchio tier because I want them to be a real boy. And I, I feel like they are have enough good construction to them to still be serviceable. Right? Yeah, so I'm so like the right. So like Shaw Maniah is a good example here. Shaw Mania this year, if you rostered him, I mean There was a good two-month stretch where he was sitting 92-93 and just absolutely dominating. Even in September, I mean, he was a bit of a cherry bomb going back and forth. One gave me a 91-mile-per-hour velocity, next was 92. But one of those was 11Ks against the Astros. And when he also has this change-up and curveball going down consistently, oh, Sean Minai is absolutely devastating for hitters. It's just a question of are we going to see that velocity back up? Because it was a huge surprise. We were thinking ninety ninety one entering this year, also with a lengthy injury track record. And we yeah. finally saw a season where Maniah said, no, I'm not going to get injured. And B, I'm going to throw harder than ever. And it was great. I mean, it was a really, really successful season, especially uh, starting around uh, June or so. Uh, that could easily carry over into next year. And the fact that the Athletics are just going to let Maniah pitch for as long as he wants to pitch is something of a positive note, too.
1: Yeah. That's a great point. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about another guy on this list who taught me an important lesson this year, and that's Chris Bassett. Uh, mm. Bassett was a guy that ooh, I had some conversations about coming into last year. You know, I believe his sinker was a top five, definitely top 10 CSW pitch in all of baseball, but more so focused on called strikes. And in my mind, I on this kind of veritable seesaw of which way he could go, I went with, well, even if that sticks, he doesn't really have enough to get whiffs. And then he proves me wrong and he comes in with a career high 25% strikeout rate. Um, I guess my question for you is we saw him sustain that over the course of theoretically a full season, right? Obviously, the comebacker to the head shortened it a little bit, which really stunk. but. The, the swinging strike rate didn't make too many leaps, right? So last year, he had a 9.9% swinging strike rate over 63 innings pitched and just a 21% K rate. This year, just 10.1% swinging strike rate, but a 25% K rate. Uh, in your mind, is is Bassett a guy who can hit 25 again? Or
2: is that kind of ceiling that we're expecting to see from him for next year? I mean, it's possible. He could do that again. He's always been hovering that, right? It's not like it's so egregious that it was 25 this year. He said 22 in 2019, it was 21 in 2020. I mean, it wasn't, you know, going from like 22 or so to 24, 25 is really not that big of a deal. Yeah, that's a good. Point. Um, but it's more of, you know, if, if a guy's going like a 19 percent that goes up to a 27, you're like, oh, hey, hi, okay, that's a huge deal. Um, to me, more it's the the hit suppression and the uh, the the whip going down from one sixteen to one hundred five. Um, that really shocked me this year, and I'm not necessarily certain that's going to stick around for him. Batting average allowed of two seventeen this year. Um, uh, it, it, he's he is a low homer fly ball guy, which is very much in his favor. Obviously, in the, in this kind of uh, situation, also playing in Oco helps yeah. Yeah. Uh, for that, but. Uh, Chris Bassett is good. I don't think he's going to have a season like this again. I don't think he's going to have a 315 ERA and a, and a whip under 110. I think he's going to be more like a 375 with about a 115, 120, with a strikeout rate between 20 and 25%. And keep in mind that before the injury, it was a career high in innings. Um, this 157 is the highest he's thrown in a single season. Uh, at least in the majors, I haven't done any mental math that there's anything to combine with minors, but I don't believe so. Yeah. Uh, and uh, barely, yeah, there was eight in 2019 to add on, but uh, or 11. What I'm trying to get at is the idea that Chris Bassett is going to be that guy for 180 to 200 is a possibility. It, it, you know, that this would be next year would be the year that he would be pushed for that. But yeah, I still don't quite buy the entire repertoire and approach that. Makes me think. Oh, yeah, this is this is a guy that can re- withstand any hurdles that are thrown his way or any obstacles, anything like that. Yeah. Um. And I think we can all kind of agree this is the best we should ever expect from Bassett.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess I'm just thinking about what the sustainability could look like. Because yeah, I agree. A step forward would be a surprise to me. I think the way I'm kind of considering him too is like, is Chris Pat, is Chris Bassett a guy? How do you how do you build around him in terms of drafting a fantasy team? You know what I mean? Do you get him when you have two high upside strikeout guys who could theoretically hurt your ratios? Like who do you you pair Chris Bassett with? Because at this point, Chris Bassett is going to be your what? Your your SP3, SP4, right? Right. SP4 would be lucky. He's going to be your SP3. So I'm trying to think about like what a good SP1, SP2 matchup would be for him. And I don't really know if I know it quite
2: yet. Because like you said, you're not guaranteed innings. Yeah, this is the problem I always have is, I mean, I guess the question is, is I'm not saying that Chris Bassett is a Toby because he's better than that. We all know this. Um, but let's say you were saying, okay, what's the case of drafting a Toby, right? Of, mm-hmm. Like a, more of an innings guy, a volume focused one, as opposed to one that has a legitimate 25, 30% strikeout rate upside or someone that in their best season can you know pull off a uh, a high twos and, you know, one whip kind of season, right? The one that has that incredible ceiling that we all can, I think, agree that Bassett doesn't have. But then you can also say, like, Nick, he had a 2 and change ERA last year in 2020, and he had 25% K right now. How can you not say that fine? But I guess what I'm getting it. that's always a tough situation. Like, when do you draft Kyle Hendricks was the previous year's question, right? When is it, what do you want? Is it the injured guys that you draft? Is it the riskier ones and you pair it? Or if you already have two stable guys, you might want another stable guy to make it even more stable, right? Yeah. There's no good answer for it. I don't know where exactly I side. I honestly, I would say that if I felt, if I really felt that I was just, I had drafted way too much risk already. Um, I was like, fine, then okay. I know that I have Chris Bassett because essentially my draft strategy is still the same. I want to draft four guys that I know I'm not dropping through the year, and Bassett would be one of those that I would not drop
1: okay uh two more guys in this tier that i want to get to real quick one is nathany evaldi so we saw a quick little pop quiz for you uh this was the second highest career innings total for him at 182.1 the last was when he came in out away from throwing 200 innings for which team was that
2: um would that be the yankees it was the miami marlins oh wow yeah isn't that wild <laughs> I, I was just I, trying to think of all the teams he was pitching for.
1: Yeah, okay. I completely forgot that he spent two and a half years with the Miami Marlins. Insane. <laughs> that is insane. 2012, 2013 and 2014. So the last time wow. he threw this many innings was in 2014. Obviously, we talked about it uh, last week. I think maybe the week before best CSW pitch in baseball with that curveball.
2: Um, what are
1: you thinking about Nathan Evaldi moving forward?
2: Yeah, it's hard for me to see him at 47 right now and be like, ah, I should probably have him in that tier five, but maybe not. It's there are. OK, it's, it's another case of this is your best season, likely. And the problem with that is when your best season is a 370 array. Um, you know, anyone that had Eovaldi this year will know the inconsistencies of the first half. And then he did smooth them out a bit in the second half. A little. I mean, there's still some bad moments there, but you know, every pitcher is going to have that in some way. Um, fastball Kerbo is working this year. It worked a bit in 2020 as well. kerbo actually had a fantastic CSW that just kind of slipped my mind, or I completely overlooked it. Um, last year, 41% CSW on in 2020. Uh, but he threw it a little bit more. It was more of a reliable guy for him in 2021 um, considering you think, oh yeah, six months, not two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel okay with it. I feel like he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be a stable guy. He's gonna be in there a ton. He might be a four array at the end of the day. If he does lose that curveball at all, if he does lose that fastball command a little bit, there isn't much else supporting him, which is a problem. There are some days that the slider, splitter, and cutter does show up, and those are cool. But really it's it's yeah, it's a four-seamer and it's the curveball. And if he's spotting those well, then he's gonna have a great day. And if he's not, it's gonna be a little bit rough. There was a time one of this season I was calling him a cherry bomb because of that, um, and then I changed my tone. I'd say late July, maybe early August, but it's that's I don't know if that's necessarily gone. You know, that's actually like that's those last two months are going to be what we see from of All the next year. I don't know, um, but the strikeouts should be somewhat alive, and you know the one seventeen whip is pretty cool, and I might be able to stick around too.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see. I mean, one of the big things that sticks out for me for Eovaldi, too, is aside the fact that he pitched for Miami, which I completely forgot, (laughs) is that that home run to fly ball rate. Right. I mean, this is a guy who had 20 percent rates in the past couple of years and short sample size, like 70 innings. uh, But he's you know, he's struggled with the home run before he had a 19 percent home run to fly ball rate in 2016. A lot of that, I think, came from that cutter Uh, and then what she complete last year what do you think is he threw uh 161 cutters last year
2: what was his home run to fly ball rate in his cutter last year on his cutter oh yeah um terrible i'm just gonna say that it was it was 50 (laughs) yeah there you Uh, go (laughs) (laughs) that's that's pretty unbelievable half of the fly
1: balls that left his bat that were cut that left the bats of cutters were or home runs that's um he dropped the usage completely this year, uh, relatively. And the home, the four seamer home run to fly ball also jumped, I mean, dropped. It's not rare that a guy, you know, goes into Fenway and shows a big drop in home run to fly ball rate. And I think that's kind of interesting and another thing to track moving forward. Uh, but for the love of God, we got to get out of this tier. The last person I want to talk real quick, uh, Marcus Stroman, does his landing spot in any way significantly impact
2: oh, that's his a spot on the, on the list? I wouldn't say so. I don't know. I mean, he, he survived the Jays. He survived a, a season with or a half a season with the poor Mets off uh, defense. Mm-hmm. I would. Yeah, I wouldn't really think so. I mean, the guy has been absurdly consistent throughout his career. Um, And I don't I I don't think I'm going to put a heavy weight on that. Would you?
1: Um, no, not with him because I I was a little bit worried about what that infield defense was going to do for him in New York. And I still think he was able to work his way around that. And I think he's shown that he's been able to be consistent enough. And I would hope in this day and age that whoever is signing Marcus Stroman to what will likely be I don't want to say a long term because I don't think he's going to get like a six, five, six year deal, but he'll probably get a multi-year deal. Yeah. Yeah. He'll get a multi-year deal. Whoever is doing that, I would hope would be a team that is built to succeed with his repertoire. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that makes Uh, a lot of sense. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. You know what would be actually insane? If he signed with this might move the needle for me. If he signed with St. Louis, a team that is perpetually the best infield defense in baseball, if he went there. Then I would bump him three, four, wow, or five that is such a good
2: fit too, because they need yeah. one or two guys, and they're not going to spend the giant, giant amount of money. Oh, that would be, yeah, I think it would be a really good fit for them. Oh
1: God, could you imagine Nolan Arenado behind Marcus Stroman with Paul DeJong <laughs> and like that's I like it a lot. Uh, I am very yeah. su- and I am very surprised that you have not rushed me along. Just to talk about tier eight, which you could in all likelihood dedicate an entire podcast to. This is this is the Pollock Pals right here. (laughs) I mean, there are so many names in this tier that I'm legitimately afraid to even begin the conversation. Uh, And we're looking at 52 to 62. We got Denilson Lamette, Michael Kopech, Shane Baz, Logan Gilbert, Sixto Sanchez, Patrick Sandoval, Luis Garcia, John Means. A wild Josiah Gray appeared, <laughs> Tarek Skubal and Sonny Gray in what is probably the biggest shock that you're, you're, I guarantee you're the only person coming into next season with Josiah over Sonny. Yeah. Right. Uh, what is the name of this year? Why is it called that? And let's get cracking, I
2: guess. I mean, I don't know. It's the presence under the tree. I just can't wait to, to see what 2022 holds for all of them. <laughs> Yeah, totally. You know? yeah. I'm just I just want to unwrap that and just and watch it. Uh, yeah. All of this is just so exciting to me. I mean, if if you're looking at this tier and you don't get amped about pitching, I don't know what's wrong with you. Like this is this is it. If you want to understand why I love this, it's Michael Kopech throwing 101 at the knees the other day. It's Singleton, mm-hmm. Lamette's slider being the best pitch in baseball. It's Shane Boz having the the guts to throw that three two slider for a strikeout. Logan Gilbert with an overpowering fastball that hopefully he gets a slider. command. in six. Sanchez being so incredible mm-hmm. in that debut. Patrick Sandoval thirty two whiffs that I have his shirt. Called 32 whiffs because he earned yep. 32 in one start. Luis Garcia came out of nowhere with the slider and cutter. I hope that comes back. He really had fatigue at the end of the year. John Means, you know John Means. I'm not going to say John Means. Josiah Gray and uh what he can do with his double-digit whiffs uh, on any of his three pitches on a given night. Tarek Skubal just got shut down too. really. I mean, slider and changeable really coming in. And then you have Sonny Gray, who we know how amazing he can be. I mean, this is such a fun tier. It's amazing.
1: it is a fun tier. let's let me challenge you a little bit. does this oh, ranking right, let's go? Does this ranking take into account Josiah Gray's floor that we saw repeatedly against really poor teams coming down the stretch?
2: Yeah, so I mean yes, um this is okay. We have reached the point at tier eight where you have the four that you should have already. Mm-hmm. I felt Alex Wood is the last one that I think, yeah. I I, I think I'm gonna be drafting Alex Wood and likely holding through the year. There's a decent chance that he might not, but there's it starts to teeter in tier seven. Uh there's a there's there's a chance that some of these guys I don't actually want to hold on to, but I'm gonna be drafting with the expectation that I am gonna be doing that, right? That I'm gonna be holding them. Alex Wood is right at the end of that. So now is when I say, okay, I'm gonna be drafting all the fun ceiling guys now because I if you come into this without the expectation of them being the greatest thing ever then you can actually make some smart moves in April and you know and and swap around and everything like that because yeah Carlos Rodan's gonna show up and Robbie Ray is gonna show up and Logan Webb and so on Adam Wainwright so so here's tier eight and you have Josiah Gray that yes he had that that moment where it wasn't clicking for him but then he recovered and something I say often is I get most excited about young guys after they go through their first wave of adversity. When they when they have their first struggles, then they excel when they come out of it. A really good example to me is Jose Fernandez, even really early on. Uh, he came up, had a good start, and then he had a, maybe two poor ones, and it looked like, oh no, maybe he's not going to do anything. And then he had another good start, and then just soared the rest of the way. And you see that a lot from guys. Josiah Gray had his moment of about four starts where he couldn't handle the Marlins and couldn't handle the Pirates. But then he actually ended the season pretty well against two good teams, against the Astros and Red Sox. And I do feel good about Josiah Gray going into next year. Are all of these guys going to have moments of struggle next year? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know which one's going to do better than the other, but all of them have legit upside inside this tier, and I just can't wait to see what they do. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm more a
1: little more pushback, just because you know pushing all the yeah, buttons of course. here. Um, only one of these gentlemen, I mean, not many have had the opportunity, but only one of these gentlemen has thrown over 160 innings in this tier. Mm. Uh, Is there some concern there? Because theoretically next year, that list might not change. It could theoretically just be
2: Sonny Gray passing 160. When you draft your number five SP, volume is not what you're targeting. That's not what you're going for. I I don't think anyone would be upset of um, obviously you didn't draft them, but Shane McClanahan and Alec Manoa from the moment they came up and yeah, it was about 120 to 130 innings for the, both of those guys. But I think a lot of people will tell you that from the moment they got them to the end of the year, they're happy with the, the, the amount that they got, right? It wasn't, I think from that point it's about 150 innings expected from normal guys or so maybe actually Alec Manoa but later than McClanahan by about a month or so. Something like that. And then McLane had a weird thing in the between. But you understand what I'm getting at. Of If it's yeah. of quality, you're not going to care that it's not 180 or 200. You'll be fine with 150 from, from your SP5 at this spot. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that I only expect 140, 150. I mean, Logan Gilbert next year, I can imagine going to 100, 170. I could see a decent amount of these getting pushed a lot more. I mean, especially, I mean, I, I know you're not really including John Means in that or Sonny Gray, uh, no, you know what John means out has place. never. Th- John means has never thrown over 160. Right, but I, I guess I'm saying is he's not. I think gonna be treated the same way as a. Oh, sure. Opec or Shane Boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so that that's all I'm getting at there. But yeah, I mean Luis Garcia threw 145 or 150 this year, something along those lines, and he's gonna be hopefully relied upon in the Astros' rotation next year. He should be. Hopefully, he gets that slider and cutter back. That he lost in the second half a bit um, he, to the point he wasn't even throwing a slider. it was just throwing more fastballs, which is not his best pitch. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can return back to that in a less fatigued state. Uh, I'm looking forward to all of it. I mean, really, you should look at this tier and say, OK, how do I get to this tier? And don't feel too... Um, and there's there's going to be some traps here fast like i have i'm trying to resist i actually resisted a little too much i think in the the mock draft that's going on right now i uh, because i felt i could wait longer than i could to get a lot of these and so there's this game of like you don't want to jump too soon for all of it and then you have like four of them and then you overload on this and then you don't really get any fun later on yeah. because you know second week of april comes around you don't want to drop six sanchez yet right I uh, but you also want to make sure you get at least one or two of them. And if you wait too long, you actually might might miss them. I, I think in most leagues, people are
1: going to be people who spend time listening to this podcast, people who are, you know, the freaks like us. They're going to be able to circle Josiah Gray. And then the majority of non-industry leagues or even really in industry leagues will be able to get him as a final pick. Um, I, I, you know, for all the work that we do. And I, I don't want to be I, I, I hope this does not come off as condescending, but I imagine a lot of people who have friends in these leagues will largely draft based off of the ERA, uh, whatever ESPN shows in the feed. Oh, yeah. The right? Yahoo
2: ranking ones. So, oh uh-huh. yeah, all that stuff.
1: Exactly. And Josiah Gray is going to be someone on this list
2: that virtually everyone's <laughs> going to be able to get late. Same with John I mean, Means, right? I mean, fast. I had someone in uh, one of my hometown leagues who I asked him, like, why? I was like, oh, hey, so like what? you drafted this guy like why'd you draft this guy because i was like oh you know i just thought like the research i do like that's what he said i was like what's your research said, i don't know like whatever yahoo is and yeah, i'm exactly. like but you don't you like don't you you never come to the thing that you know i because no i what no my favorite analyst is the yahoo guy like who was what's his name because i don't know And yeah, you go, exactly. all right all right i get it man i got it it's okay it's a perpetually humbling experience <laughs> anytime i think we we know what we're talking about I or anyone cares special. like
1: No one cares what we say. Uh, (laughs) It's good to remind us that. Uh, And if you're listening, God, do we appreciate you. Um, So I'll I'll say that about Josiah Gray. I do think I I also think I'll have him high on my list next year. and, And it'll be good to know that you can wait for him. Logan Gilbert, the last person I'll say, you already touched on it a little bit. It is, again, you know, we come back to those seesaws. I talked about it with Alec Manoa last week about, I think, how far he can go is based on that changeup development. Logan Gilbert is another really interesting question. I mean, I think you and I both love him because that foundation of that fastball is amazing. I mean, the foundation is 100% there. Now what you're betting on, what you as a drafter need to determine is, can the next steps come in terms of the breaking pitches?
2: Absolutely. And by the way, I do want to say, Yahoo, the guy's doing that stuff, excellent work. I Oh, yeah. Not to say that he shouldn't be. It was just more of like, uh, yeah, okay. I... yeah, Logan Gilbert. Really, it's is when he had his slider working and doing good things and throwing the in the zone and all of that. He had success, you know. And there are certain times actually when he didn't even have anything but his four seamer. We're talking in his last start, even five point two innings, one earned run. But really, it was eleven whiffs and eight CSW eight, uh, called strikes on the four seamer that got all the work done. While he had ten percent CSW in the slider, seventeen percent his changeup, none on his curveball. And he got through that start because of that heater getting outs constantly, right? And that's that can be the story for him, but it won't really unlock for me until we start seeing those seven slider with games like he did against the Royals and he went seven innings in 99 pitches and one earned run. Like that is everything there. So I hope we get it. We can. Um, there's also I, some upside in that changeup in Kerbal as well. I'm not just going to ignore those either. But really, it's it's a one-two punch of a fastball slider that needs to really come to fruition with Gilbert. And I think with more time, we will see that.
1: Uh, if you could ask Logan Gilbert one question, what would you
2: want to ask him? Um, What's up? <laughs> if I could if ask him one question, I would say... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be about a slider, but like... um. I would say, hey, are you going to be focusing more on your slider this offseason? You know, I, I something along those lines, just understanding. Th- I hope that, I mean, I believe in a slider. I think that can be that pitch. Um, okay. I, what is the difference, do you think, between your when your slider is working and when it isn't? And kind of going into how often does he have that feel? Is it one of those things where he just wakes up one day and he has it and he doesn't? Or is it something that he's more conscious of that he can continue to get better at? If that, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, we can ask him that question. I just shot him a DM. Oh, uh, nice. And I'm going to oh, see if we can to talk to
2: Logan. I'm going to see if we can
1: get him on on the First Pitch podcast.
2: All right. I need uh, to re-listen to my thing so that I can say it word for word.
1: <laughs> no, I'll read it. I'll say, my buddy Nick, I asked him on a podcast, what do you want to ask you? And this is what he said. Uh, he said, sup? Uh, and then he's... <laughs> uh, Uh, All right, cool. Let's move on to the next tier then. That actually wasn't too bad. I really thought you were going to be killing me on that one there. Uh, But let's move on to tier nine here. Uh, A lot of really... you know, there's always question marks in each tier. The last year, I think you could largely categorize as young, exciting guys who might be the next big name of the sport. You know, people are going to say, who's, who's the guy that I could draft that could theoretically take the next step forward to be an SP one. A lot of those guys are in that list. Right. Now we're moving on to a, a, another subset of question marks, which is I guess you could summate this as like was what they did real um, and this is sixty three to seventy two. We're looking at Wainwright, Anthony Discafani, Tywin Walker, Cal Quantrill, James Caprillion, Jordan Montgomery, Aaron Savali, Casey Mize, Ranger Suarez, and Jamison Tyon. What's it called? Why is it called that?
2: It's the Oasis. <gasps> okay. You don't know if it's a mirage on the desert or it actually is mm-hmm. going to give you sustenance. Uh, That's good. It's so so. I mean, Adam Wainwright, that was wonderful. But yeah. really really, are we going to do this? Anthony Escafani is a two pitch guy. And I do remember um, entering the season thinking like, huh, like 2020 Anthony Escafani was kind of a lost year and we're not really giving him enough credit in the back of my head, but I was like, yeah, but I'm not going to draft him and then like start him and stuff. And then he just did well and that worked out. But it was, uh, it, you know, that wasn't the most shocking one to me for Descafani to being a serviceable starter. I kind of have him and Caprillian similarly in my head. I, Same kind of for Cal Quantrill, too. Um, Cal Quantrill, I think, squeezed out the most from his stuff to have success. But the thing about Escofani, Caprillian, and Quantrill to me that really links them together is that they are like a low to mid 90s fastballs guys with like a good slider and nothing, not like nothing elite here, but just they're good and they're not terrible with their command. And they were going to get the opportunities to have volume now, you know, and when you enter 2022 and Caprillion and Quantrill, I mean, let's has so been in the league long enough that he'll just go until whatever. Mm-hmm. But now Quantrill and Caprillion, they will they will go. And that can be a very, you know, a very valuable, valuable thing. But I kind of see them falling into Toby land because of it. Um, and that's a little bit of a, of a worry for me. Anyone that's expecting anything close to the Quantrill second half, again, are going to be disappointed. I think everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, the question is, how much different? And this is, well, we, <laughs> no idea. But um, we'll see. I mean, I, I would I would say that anyone drafting next year shouldn't feel a major difference between those three guys. Uh, and let's just, yeah, let's hope one of them works.
1: Talk to me then a little bit about. I mean, you hit you hit on it a little bit, but the Quantrill verse Savale there, and and Savale being a a little bit further down from not drastically,
2: they're three spots apart from one another, but so different,
1: just so different in terms of approach and upside.
2: I'm 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 joking that. Oh oh, in terms of the three, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I I mean the main thing there is that Quantrill found something and stuck with it. Right, he had like this is my approach. I'm going to do this, and I had success. The, the, the concern or the, I won't say, not necessarily concern, but the um, the hope for uh, Savali is that he does find something inside of that kitchen sink approach. That he says, this is actually what I do. And the other stuff is just kind of like every so often. And what I hope that is, would be a curveball cutter mix with fastball sneaking in. He showed that a bit in 2020. His curveball is an excellent offering. I mean, we've seen it constantly have excellent CSW raids, great call strikes, good whiffs, like the whole thing. Good good results in play. The cutter is a very good, I need to get a strike pitch. Yeah. Um, and we've seen the sinker actually act as a surprise get over and also the four-seamer elevated too. And I really do feel like actually closer to to Quantrill, Savali is like Jordan Montgomery in this way to me uh, because it's a curveball changeup I, uh, fastball mixed with him. And, yeah, the changeup and curveball are more of whiff pitches than get-me-overs. But if you kind of replace the the, the cutter with the curveball and so on, it, it gets really close, I think, with just, hey, guys, use those three pitches. Really lean on that for about 85%, maybe even 90. And then, yeah, that splitter you want to throw Savali or, or for you, Montgomery, the cutter or, or whatever, use that sparingly but really yeah. lean on those. And I think that can be a really good path to success for them, but we just haven't seen it yet. And I don't really know if he'll get into either of them. will get into that major rhythm.
1: Okay. Uh, the last person I want to talk about is going to be someone who uh, the way that we cite his stats are going to be very interesting over the course of the offseason because he spent a lot of time as a reliever and then he transitioned to a starter at the end of the year after dominating in the bullpen. Uh, and that's Ranger Suarez. He still ended the year just as a starter over 12 starts with a near nine K per nine, a one five one ERA, a two point three five whip. He gave up one home run in his starts, 12 mm. starts, one home run uh, with a really I mean, especially in the last like six, seven, eight starts. He, he had poor command in the 18th against Arizona. And then from then out, he didn't walk more than two batters. What are you making of Ranger Suarez?
2: Yeah. I uh, everyone's going to hate me and that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't I'm not really a big fan sadly. Um I don't think his fastball is that special. I don't think it's going to hold a batting average hovering 200 and I don't th- and maybe his changeup does too. Um his changeup is good, 21% swing strike rate this year, but didn't really get called strikes a ton. Slider and curveball are nothing to talk about. They really are not offerings. And when you have a guy that's 1-2 um like this. Uh the reason I have them him grouped with Caprillion and uh and Descafani and uh Quantrill is yeah, this is another kind of one-two guy without anything that to me is truly exceptional. And I have I do feel that the change of enforcement is a little bit worse than the consistent, like, hey, no, I can do good things like Quantrill can or or at least showed and same with Descafani. So I'm a little I'm out. Personally, on Ranger Suarez, I think the schedule had a major part of doing this as well. Um, I mean, we were talking about this in in August saying, oh, man, the Phillies have like the best schedule of anyone. Mm -hmm. And Suarez was the one that even, you know, uh, danced around the the mediocre teams, too. I mean, the last seven, Arizona at Miami, Rocky Road against the depleted Cubs, your Orioles outside of Camden. Uh, the Pirates and Marlins. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Yes, I, I, I know that one start against Tampa Bay on the 24th, he did well. It, it's just, it, it made it so easy for us to lean on, on Suarez down the stretch with these easy opponents. And I, I, I don't really see so much from his repertoire that speaks to me depending on him through the year. I, I love to chase. I think it's going to be clearer to us in April. The guys in the tier above and how they're performing with their repertoire, the Josiah Gray, the, the Kopech, the Shane Boz, you're going to feel way differently about those guys than you are Ranger Suarez. Yeah I, oh, yeah, I very much agree with that. I guess the one thing that
1: I'd be curious to hear about, and maybe we should this, maybe this is a guy we should try and talk to, too, if you would talk to us, Philly's pitching coach, Caleb Cotham, who was mm-hmm. a big pipe, uh, big uh, driveline guy, came over from the Reds. You know, I wonder if he's a guy that he was able to have some impact on this is all purely subjective because we have no idea. But then again, some of the pitching in Philly also wasn't great um so i don't know that might be interesting i'd be curious to hear his thoughts on on Roger suarez oh i'd um, love to hear that all right before we move on to tier 10 we're gonna go on and uh take a quick word from our sponsors You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code So let's kick off tier 10 to here. We're looking at 73 to 78. We're going to start with <clears throat> mini me, mini, mini Chris Sale himself and Tanner Hauck. We also have Jesus Lizardo, Aaron Ashby, who, to be honest, I was surprised was not in the top 15. Hyunjin Ryu, Carlos Carrasco
2: and Chris Paddock. So what's it called? Why is it called that? I'm going to keep the theme here. These are the stocking stuffers because I feel similarly about a lot of these guys Like I do in tier eight. Um, like, for example, I debated heavily and I'm still doing right now and I kind of want to put. Tanner Hauk into that tier eight, as opposed to where he is right now in tier 10. Um, I just had it separated. I I always do these in chunks of going back and forth between more like stable Tobies and then the, the higher upside of like Hauk and and Boz and all that fun stuff as well. Um, Hauk has an amazing slider. We just didn't really see him get or act efficient in that second half with fastballs and sliders. And that is a question I don't know we're going to get answers to early in the year. I hope he does. I hope he gets there. But we're not there right now. And Jesus Lizardo, man, he switched. Finally, finally stopped throwing four seamers. And he threw amazing curveballs and changeups. And uh, the final month, or I say six weeks of the season, we finally got to see what that ceiling is like. The Marlins traded for Lizardo and left him in the rotation, even though Zach Thompson was a very good arm. They could have started instead. They said, no, we want to. Help Luzardo and get him to a place where he needs to be. He looks like in a better place. We just don't quite know uh if he's going to keep those skills into next year. And lastly, there Aaron Ashby, I mean, he's just so good. It's just how are the Brewers going to use him? Is he even going to start out of the gate? I don't know.
1: If, I, I was going to bring that up because if Aaron Ashby was guaranteed a spot in the rotation,
2: let's say he was the number four, uh where would you be putting him? I'd be putting him around like Lamette and Kopeck. Wow. Something like that. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe like right underneath Sixto, I think. I uh, but it, it's he's in tier eight then. Uh, Ashby has two secondary pitches: slider and changeup. He doesn't have any fear of throwing strikes with, and then a ninety-six mile per hour sinker. Like it's, it's so sexy fast. One of my, yeah. I, I've made a lot of these videos. I've, I'm mentioning them again uh, for YouTube. I gotta say, the off season is, is long and full of terrors. <laughs> if you want some excitement, definitely. I cannot recommend enough going through that YouTube channel and looking at all the pitchers that I covered this year. It's really fun and a great way to educate yourself and, and learn about these guys. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite videos, I mean, was that Shane Boz one, but also Aaron Ashby is just, mm-hmm. I got, I got so excited, so excited watching those 21 pitches or whatever that got rained out. And I feel like there's yeah. those moments in, <laughs> there are a lot of those moments in baseball where you feel uh, unjustifiably. So you've been, I stripped away from something magical and that. Ah, I wish it didn't rain out that day. I wish we got to see another couple innings there. I think about um, Phil Hughes pulling his hamstring in, in mm-hmm. Texas when he was throwing a no hitter. Stuff like that was just like, ah, baseball. Why did you, how could you do this to us? Yeah. And no one will ever feel that way about Ashby's rainout, but I will. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to hopefully seeing him in the uh, firmly have a spot in the rotation next year. As if the Brewers need any more amazing starters. Seriously, geez, um, Hyunjin Ryu,
1: is this not taking into account upside enough? 76 guy coming yeah. off a
2: career worst year, maybe not. You know, I really wrestled with this one too, um, and this I kind of made this a tier of I don't know how I feel, okay. right. Uh, like yeah, Hal Lizardo, Ashby again already expressed all of that. Carrasco, I don't know if the changeup slider is going to come back in full, and it could. Chris Paddock is just kind of there, but like yeah, I exist still, you know, and like maybe I can't get my fastball back after all. Uh, but with Ryu, it was so painful if you were a fantasy manager with Ryu this year. You didn't know if you should be holding on to this. You drafted them as your SP two three or so. His changeup was gone, and it's safe for yeah. maybe one or two starts, and he had. You know, we're calling it a Dennis, right? Where he's doing so poorly, then he has one start where he shows up again, but you know it's not going to last. And he had that against the Yankees throwing 92 in change with really good change-ups all of a sudden, and then the next starter is down to 90-91. And it just, it, it was painful. It hurt a lot. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get that back from Ryu of having that good change of feel mixed with really nice cutters, curveballs for strikes, and so on. So I'm in a situation that... I don't think the ceiling is going to be there again. Maybe he does turn into another SP three or four, but I could say the same about how can and Ashby. I could say that about Jameson Tyone coming back. I can say that about um, Taiwan Walker throwing 95 miles per hour next year. Mm-hmm. So there are, I think this is more of an expression of the depth of starting pitcher this year and how many options there are. And I just don't want someone drafting Ryu because of the name and then not uh, dropping him when they need to when something that they should be adding to their teams shows up in April or May.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let's move on then to tier 11. Uh, quick four names here. Luis Patino, Adbert Alzale, Tristan McKenzie, and Eliezer Hernandez. Fun names, but uh, a little bit more of a scarier floor.
2: Uh, what's it called? Why is it called that? Yeah, this is the, um, <laughs> yeah, this is the daycare center. I, uh, you know, you see the potential. These kids could be growing up into something wonderful. We don't know mm-hmm. yet. I, uh, I know what a wonderful name, Nick. So original. I was actually legitimately thinking of the Pokemon daycare where you drop them off and just hope they turn into something. <laughs> Jesus. Christ. Um, but I, uh, but we might go a little bit long in this podcast if I keep making those references. Uh, Luis Matino, we saw glimpses this year of what he can be. It's actually kind of interesting with a lot of these young guys that got Berlauzele right after Eliezer Hernandez. They're more slider-focused. Their secondary pitch is the one that gets us us excited, right, when they're a two-pitch guy. Uh, But for Patino, it's actually more of the fastball doing things, the four-seamer. And the moments when the slider became not even just a major whiff pitch, but just good enough to throw in the zone, um, he did really, really good things. actually really bothered me over the weekend. Oh, man. Oh, (laughs) one of my favorite things that I will exclaim about a lot. We even talked about it before with Peralta saying, oh, you didn't double up on your slider, right? Mm-hmm. Patino had the the guts and a 3-2 pitch after not executing a slider uh to I think it was Kyle Schwarber um to I uh, or maybe it was the guy before Kyle Schwarber whatever it was a 3-2 pitch and he bounced the slider cuz he knew that if he executed one of them he would have gotten them out mm-hmm. and because he bounced it, the very next pitch was a home run to the next batter. Uh. And it's just oh you, you like you had it it was there you didn't you didn't do it. You know, you, you failed, essentially. You tried and you didn't get it. And I felt that disappointment. And then, yeah, you got burned because of it. And to see that kind of punishment, you might just say like, oh, that was a bad pitch there. You shouldn't have walked the guy. It's like, no, no, but you don't understand the the risk reward he took to get to that situation. And I think that that development can come for Patino. I mean, I remember getting excited about that breaking ball a ton when he was on the Padres and yeah. watching him in the Futures game. That was the thing that really amazed me. So hopefully that does return. And I would imagine, I mean, you never know with the Rays, but next year it's McClanahan, uh, Boz, and Patino as their one, two, three. Maybe Yarbrough's still in there. Uh, Maybe Rasmussen as 5, but you have to think that they're going to prevent Patino from a lot of 6-inning games. So he's a little bit lower because of that. He still has a lot of the potential of that Tier 8, but he has Tier 11, I think, a little bit because of that. Um out of these, I am curious uh for you fast Bettino Alzelay Mackenzie Hernandez, who are you most excited about and who are you least excited about? That's a great question um
1: hmm most excited about least my gut says i'm least excited about Adbert azaleh because i feel like he i just don't know if we're ever going to be able to see a legitimate stride forward that remains consistent you know what i mean okay, i'm just sure. worried that it's always going to be some sort of roller coaster with him um i'm most excited about such a good question I'm, I'm like excited about patino mckenzie and eliezer hernandez all for very different reasons like if tristan mckenzie can find consistency the way that he found it for small stretches this year that'll yeah. be
2: really exciting but yeah, I'm i don't 93 maybe right instead of 91 and change
1: yeah um but i still think it's probably patino i think in terms of like stuff he's probably the most exciting mm-hmm. out of all of them so i think probably him i'm probably least excited
2: about eliezer i don't know i i have yeah, this, this the feeling middle. of like the fastball is 91. Uh, I don't really think that's going to change much. It's going to be a liability for him. While the slider has at times been excellent and really carried him through a start, but not that often. Yeah. Um, and also at the very least, I remember I remember when I first saw him when he first came up, he was a lot more violent, I believe, with his mechanics. And then in spring training this year, there is a, uh, I think one of the most viewed Twitch clips that I have is me reacting to Albert Alzelay and then saying, I think I'm really into Albert Alzelay now. <laughs> like realizing, I was like, oh no, what have I done? Um, so, so, I mean, Alzelay is your prototypical Inoa type, your lament type of a really good slider and a fastball that's hopefully good enough. Um, the problem with Alzelay is that's 9394 as opposed to Inoa's 96, 97. But that's still higher than the ninety ninety one of Alza user, right? Um, yep. And I do think it is a deadlier slider at times from Owsley. Uh I will also mention that the Cubs are certainly going to look to him. I mean, the, unless they make some major changes this offseason, it does feel like Owsley's got a path to consistent playing time there at the, the in the rotation and not necessarily limited in the same way that Patino is. Um, McKenzie's very exciting because, yeah, if he's, I mean, it's Cleveland and there is something yeah. to be said about Cleveland's development. Um. Oh, we can call them the Guardians now. Completely. Yep. They are the Guardians. Oh, wonderful. They are? Um. Yeah, the The, the Guardians are going to let him go. There's no one else competing for those uh, rotation spots now. If he's throwing four seamers effectively in the zone and more importantly, secondary pitches down a uh, slider and curveball. McKenzie is legit. I mean, he will yeah. go six innings. He will go seven. It's just it will be a battle. You know, it was really tough the first couple months this year. And just don't hold too tightly. That's all.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Let's move on to tier 12. Uh, Zach ranky Zach Plezak, Marco Gonzalez, Erod, Steven Matz, Chris Flexen, Herman Marquez, Kyle Hendricks, Kyle Gibson, Zach Eflin. This is like a Toby tier to the extreme, it feels <laughs> yes, like, in some way. Exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, sorry, what's it <laughs> called? Is it just called the Toby tier? Cause that kind of makes sense. Wait, I could, um,
2: why are you the way that you are tier? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Granke, I, I, we don't know if he's gonna be signed, he's gonna be a 38 year old free agent, uh, whose velocity is not heading in the right direction i but then again he's also an innings eater
2: who you wouldn't mind having on a young squad and he still has a fantastic changeup. and it's zach Granky who doesn't want to experience yeah. zach Granky in the organization yeah
1: i think you know it, it, it might be smart for a team with a bunch of young pitchers to sign him and be like listen i don't care if you put up a four five four six era i want you talking to every young
2: pitcher i have about how to pitch do you know um, what his called strike rate on his fastball was this year was it insanely high? 27.6%. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, people are happy when they have a CSW of that with their fastball. Yeah, that's pretty bizarre. Called strike rate. The changeup actually surprised me of having a very low 18% mark this year. Called um, strikes? Is, uh, CSW. Hmm. Uh, oh, wow. Last year it was a 32%. and went down to 182 this year, which is really shocking. It really took a step back. Everything just went in the wrong direction there. Uh, I hope that can get corrected in some way. Um, o swing dropped 10 points. Uh, usage actually went slightly up on it. Swing strike rate went down from 25 to 13 compared to 2020. Mm. Uh, batting average allowed essentially 80 points higher this year for Cranky's changeup. But the thing is, curveball is still really good. It's always been this. Hey, I'm just serviceable, thirty yeah. percent plus. And while the slider hasn't been that incredible with pitch that it was back in the 2017 days or so, it's still been serviceable as well. You know, it, hovering the the money pitch stuff of a 38 percent O swing and thirty six percent zone rate and 16 percent swing strike rate. So there's still stuff there that shows cases. Granky is hey, I'm, I'm not bad. It was a 117 whip this year. That's not that's actually helpful. Yes. 416 ERA, I get it. And this is a Toby of Toby's at this point, but 117 whip is great. I'd be really mm. happy with that. Um, Even if it is a 17% strikeout rate through 171 innings, and he gets another team that lets him go 180 plus. And there could be an argument that if you have enough ERA guys that like, you need help with the whip, like, Oh, Hey, Frank, you can do that. Yeah.
1: I, I sorry. I, I was thinking about some of the other guys on this list and like just looking at Kyle Gibson, I don't know why I can't let him go. I mean, like that—that that, uh, ninety-one that really says, "Hey, everything he did this year."
2: Well, it doesn't was a, work. It was a ridiculous first half. It was the Vargas yep. rule. We all knew that, and then yep. it, second half he had a moment of being okay again. But no, no. You know, it, um, <laughs> it's that simple. I mean, you have Zach Eflin who's going to be recovering from uh from surgery, so he's actually likely not going to start. At the beginning of the year. If Zach Eflin was normal and healthy, I'd probably have put him in the Descofani and Quantrill and Caprillian tier and tier nine. But he's down here in tier 12 because of that.
1: Um, Chris Flexen,
2: another guy that really great year that you're kind of curious to see look there's a I've been asking all year who is the Derek Rodriguez of twenty twenty one right that is the guy who put up a good weapony array that we are just going to ignore completely next year and not draft and I think Flexen is that guy I mean, are you gonna draft chris Flexen? got a soft spot for those little nerds uh
1: but i don't- <laughs> as a person, I love him,
2: but like I know
1: I know um, no, I don't know if that's a guy like. I would have to have a really bizarre team construction down the line to be like, okay, and I'm
2: going to round out my draft with Chris Flexen. Right. Uh, You know what I mean? So that would be... It was a 17% strikeout rate, 125 whip, about 180 innings for Flexen, but a 361 ERA that we all just feel as... Yeah. They're going to say player (laughs) Raider was really high. It's because he went 14 wins and six losses, and that's not something I'm going to bank on.
1: What... uh, How old do you think Kyle Hendricks is?
2: 29.
1: Really? I went the other direction. I thought Kyle Hendricks was like ancient.
2: Well, it's probably 31 or something, right? He's 31. He's 31. He's 31. Uh, But
1: that's all I want to talk about with Kyle. (laughs) I want to move on to tier 13. It's always
2: been such a small margin of error for him. And like, this was the year that we kind of expected would happen eventually to the point that in September you weren't starting him against like the pirates. And that's an issue. That's a, that's a major issue that you can't really run away from at this point. Yeah, I hear you.
1: Uh the last and final tier uh for today 93 through 100 uh John Gray, Joe Ryan, Christian Javier, Drew Rasmussen, Brady Singer, Corey Kluber, Yusei Kikuchi and Kyle Muller. Oh man.
2: I Oh, what is the name of this one? Um this this is a, I want to I want to say it's like a, a laundry nickel. Like you what? (laughs) No, of course this is how we're wrapping up this damn podcast,
1: Nick. What is this?
2: Well, laundry nickel is like all of a sudden you put your pants through the laundry or something. Like you have a washer dryer at home, and then you take out the laundry, and then oh hey, there's a nickel. You know, like inside of the washer dryer that you didn't know that you had. You know, it's like essentially all of these guys could be something that actually gives you value that you don't actually expect. Just Googled the Laundry
1: Nickel to see if maybe there was any sort of There's phrase no or colloquially. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. But you said it
2: like, oh, no, it's the Laundry Nickel. Like, <laughs> uh, of course, it's the Laundry Nickel. Uh, I'll make okay. it a bar in my, uh, my D&D campaign. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, so I did change one thing. When we recorded this last week, I did change. Uh, if you like watched on the Twitch live stream, I did change one or two guys here. Um, I removed uh, Carlos Hernandez and put in Drew Rasmussen because there is a chance that Rasmussen does start next year and maybe he does develop a slider and considering how good the fastball has performed. uh, That could be something. Christian Javier is also here now that he wasn't because if he is actually starting again for the Astros, well, he performed really well. He's got a really nice breaking ball and uh, the fastball has been uh, able to get whiffs above the zone as well. So those are two guys that I brought in here that I didn't have before.
1: Where, I guess the last question, I mean, there's, there's a few things we could talk about here. Kikuchi, I mean, made some strides, but I guess we've been saying that for three years and he hasn't been able to be consistent with those strides and he keeps getting,
2: uh, you know, taken out of the yard. Um, the velocity dropped. I mean, he was down to 94, maybe 93, I think by the end of the year. And when we got excited, it was when he was throwing 96 and then having a slider and cutter that was really messing guys up. Yeah, but I wonder then if
1: it's still wor- he'll pro- in all likelihood probably be showing that velocity early on. So I wonder if he is a good draft, and then that's why he's at ninety nine. But I don't know what we're going to see. Uh, yeah, uh, the last thing then is is we're f- we could potentially finally see John Gray out of course as he is yeah. a free agent this year, uh, and does that
2: doesn't... that I mean, he stays that in Colorado? Yeah, they didn't they didn't trade him right. Like that whole relationship is just. If you didn't trade him, then like you're going to sign him then, you know, it, it just feels uh, like that right now. But who knows? Who knows? And Rocky's that was going to riding. I I will say that John Gray showcased 96 mile per hour velocity after coming back from the, the, the arm injury in July. And that was exciting because the slider is still excellent. Yeah. The fastball has always been a problem of being hit around a decent amount. And when he had better you know, velocity in the fastball and this really good slider, he actually pushed away the curveball, which is not a bad pitch in its own right. But sure. it was just those two pitches that were cruising for him. And then it, by the end of the year, it was close to 94, touch of 95, but not really that elite 96 sitting. And that messed him up a little bit. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where John Gray lands. Maybe it's a good spot. And uh, at the end of the day, we all love number pick 100 fast. Of course. Yeah, the Muller report. I have a report. special one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If he starts for the for Atlanta next year. I don't know if he will, but he has two really nice breaking balls and he throws about 94 on the fastball. 93, 94. There's a lot of potential here with Kyle Muller.
1: It's a fun bag. It's a fun bag this last year. Um that is it for this though. We are going to have one more podcast where we break down some interesting names because Nick didn't stop at 100 he didn't nope. stop at 125 or 150 either he stopped at 175 so we have plenty of names to discuss <laughs> next week including uh you know Grayson Rodriguez Alex Reyes if he ever gets a chance to start we got you know Luis heel. we got Dylan Bundy's back cuz we can't go through a year without talking about him Beaver <laughs> San Martin there are plenty of interesting names that are
2: you know and then of course guys like Daniel Lynch and Michael pineda I mean, P- oh, pineda and then i oh, uh, 124 to 133 is the fun one of that one you're young and have potential you're young uh, and that potential. is the very exciting uh tier of that one but yeah there. i mean i'm going to guys i'm going to be torturing fast because i want will want to do a two-hour podcast and be like no you can't. No one wants it. No one wants no it. No one wants it. Absolutely not. The off season. There's no time whatsoever. Um, no. Everyone's but, uh,
1: everyone's on to the other sport. <laughs> everyone's gone. No one cares. No. Everyone's gone to the not other sport. True fast. How dare even you? Even I. Even I'm very listeners.
2: excited for. for don't the you dare rain say. It. Don't say it. No. I don't. I, don't, I didn't uh, hear what I you s- said. I. I, I didn't still hear don't it. do. I yeah. don't
1: do fantasy baseball so, uh, fantasy football. So you don't have to worry about that.
2: <laughs> um <laughs> I don't do edit. Um so there will be another podcast before we hear your voice again. Uh I'm gonna be recording yeah. with Miles Nelson in first pitch. Fast unfortunately cannot make it. I'm very sad about it. He's very sad about it, but it's, a very, it's the state of it. If you are in First Pitch, Arizona, please say hi. I would love to meet you uh and and hang out and come watch uh Miles Nelson and me uh record on Friday night uh live at first pitch, Arizona. So that'll be fun. Good time.
1: It's going to be great. Um, All right. That'll do it for episode number 279 of On the Corner, the official Pitchless.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast. And
2: I'm Nick Pollack. And we'll talk to you guys next week.